Hi friends, it's Heike. Today I want you to take a step back, meaning I want you to sit down somewhere quiet if you can and listen to this episode with full attention. Don't do something else. Don't multitask. Come back to me and listen to this interview today because if you're somebody who was told as a child that you fuss and your fuss is about nothing and you should keep quiet, or you find yourself in denial and shame only to find yourself in an abusive relationship, or that you often feel powerless and afraid of being judged by others, or that you feel old or dealing with the pressure of being judged for being over 50 is weighing you down, then friend, it's time to reclaim your feminine power and rewire what we've been told about ourselves and how we should behave and feel. Stop living the life we've been assigned to and instead reclaim your inner priestess. Before we dive in, I want you to know that before we clean out program, we'll start in three days from the time this podcast airs. It is not too late to sign up. I will leave a link in the show notes for you to take a peek at the four-week lean-out program, leaning out with intermittent fasting, Pilates exercises, and other strength training exercises and habit-building strategies that are so sustainable and easy for the women over 50. So let's dive into today's episode to reclaim your inner priestess. I'm Heike Yates, a fitness and nutrition coach with 30 years of experience. I empower women over 50 to take back their health and strength to lead a vibrant life. Right now, you're joined by thousands of women over 50 around the world who stop dimming their light and instead ignite their spark. On this podcast, I do what I do best taking complicated information about fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies, and breaking it down into baby steps that are simple, actionable, and sustainable, so you can implement them into your life. I regularly interview some of the most inspiring women who share their honest stories on how they went from their worst to their best life, so that you know not alone in your struggles. Join me as we redefine what aging looks and feels like by taking action and saying, yes, I can. This is the Pursue Your Spark podcast. I am so excited to introduce today's guest to you guys. Today, Dr. Sarah Coxon is here with us, and she's an archaeologist turned yoga teacher, activist, author, and business mentor for magical women. She helps women dig deep into their own inner magic, build profitable and sustainable businesses and live their dharma, not their conditioning. Sarah is also the author of The Way of the Priestess, a reclamation of feminine power and divine purpose, which is both a personal memoir and a call to arms for any woman that feels trapped in a social cage that stifles the truest expression and longs to live an unapologetically fulfilled life. 
Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. It's so funny listening to that introduction and being like, is that me? <laughs> it's like, yep, you know, I did all of this. <laughs> now, <laughs> let me ask you, what is your reason you feel that you exist? Wow, let's go straight in there. I love it. Um, hmm. I feel like the reason that I exist is to leave this planet a little bit brighter and a little bit more healed than when I first came in, like in simple terms, just to, to feel like I've contributed in some way to people's lives and made a difference. That's a good, that's a good reason to be existing. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't know. My audience doesn't know you has never heard of you potentially if they have this is awesome but who are you where'd you grow up where are you now what what's going on in your life oh my gosh so well i'm originally from the uk uk but um i haven't lived there for over five years i'm now living in the algarve in portugal um it's a very long story as to how i came here but i will try and keep a, a very brief introduction so um, basically many years ago, I, I decided at the age of 18, I was going to go and become an archeologist. And I, I felt this real kind of longing to connect to the past. I had a sense that there was some kind of, I kind of sensed there was something that our modern society was missing. Like I felt really disconnected from myself. I felt really disconnected from nature and kind of had the feeling that maybe people in the past they kind of had it sussed, you know? So I went down the academic route. I did my degree and that turned into a master's and then I did my PhD. And, um, you know, I, I started to immerse myself in the ancient past. But the thing was that although I was really fascinated by the archaeology and what I was learning, actually being within the academic system just was not aligned for me. You know, it's it ticked the box in the sense that I was doing what a good girl should do and I was getting good grades and my parents were really proud and oh she's going to become a doctor and all of this stuff but that was about it you know I felt that my creativity was being stifled I felt that I, I could only be a, a version of myself and it wasn't it wasn't the most expansive version of me. Felt like I had to edit myself really carefully and I couldn't show my spiritual side. I couldn't show my kind of witchy side. And, and it all kind of came to a head when I was 24. I, th I think most of us have these experiences where, you know, we have a before and an after and that before and after was the death of my brother. So he died, he was 33 years old. He died from an accidental drugs overdose. And that was the moment when life as I knew it changed. But I, it was a wake up call to me as well, um, in a sense of, I thought I, I just, I was so clear that I was living a life that was out of alignment with who I truly was. So that led me to go really, really deep into my yoga practice and get really, um, go really down the rabbit hole with my spiritual practices. And I trained to be a yoga teacher. I finished my PhD. I left academia. I went and taught yoga in the Philippines. Um, and then I just started to just follow step by step, like every 
impulse within me to create, I just started to follow it. So I was teaching yoga and then I set up a jewelry company where I was making bespoke, unique jewelry. And then, you know, I started teaching and writing and mentoring. And that's, you know, that's, that's the short version of it, really. <laughs> Now, if you guys uh, see the video, you see that Sarah has beautiful jewelry on her hands. Did you make that one? Did you make not these? Things? Not these ones. No, but um, yeah, I was yeah, I was obsessed with jewelry and crystals and all sorts of things, um, and still am actually. <laughs> yeah. What type of yoga were you teaching? So really, um, and I still teach it now, I teach something I call Shakti flow. So it's more of an embodied free flow kind of yoga. Um, I was trained in Hatha and Yin. So I, I teach those as well, but I'm a bit of a rebel. So I really like to just teach things my own way. And I, I'm very respectful of all traditions, but I don't adhere to a particular one. Yeah, I think I've heard of Shakti yoga. I yeah, quite remember there's one teacher out there and she's very well known for that niche of yoga. Uh, Rhea something something. Uh, I can't it's in the back of my mind, but I just was curious because I used to teach yoga. Oh, did you? Before I came to Pilates and uh, I came to yoga just out of uh, a purpose that the place I was working at said, oh, Yoga is very popular now. So that was a long time ago. And when people didn't do yoga and my manager said, well, we need a yoga teacher. So I found this woman teaching Ashtanga, uh, not Ashtanga, um, um, Iyengar yoga. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, that sounds great. She sounds like she knows what she does. And my boss said, well, you have to learn it now too, because in case she gets sick, somebody has to teach the classes. And that's how, that's how I got into teaching yoga. And then I dabbled over with Ashtanga and other forms of more breath work in yoga. And lo and behold, this woman that was, used to work for us back then, after I think two, two years of teaching yoga, and I would go to every yoga class and, you know, have my little plan laid out and all this. She just disappeared. And yep, out of the blue, she was like, here, I'm gone uh, starting Monday. And that was a weekend. And I was like, now what? My boss was like, you've been going to the yoga class. Go teach. So I had my lesson plan and I said, okay, you know, I'm new, new to teaching. And people are like, you know, bodies, you're a personal trainer. You do whatever, you know what to do. And I said, just be patient. Of how will the postures go and how I explain this? Um, but I taught yoga for three years. So uh, wow. that is a very, and that also, you know, with the, uh, the mudras, the breath work, the different types of yoga, how they can access the body it was fascinating. But then I switched over to Pilates and became a total Pilates fan. But the nice thing is when people come to me now and they come from a yoga practice, I understand their needs are different. They're looking for something different. They're trained in a different way. So, um, so yeah, so it's like, oh, this is fun. This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh, I love that. And I think so many people are drawn to yoga and it feels like every second person that I meet is a trained yoga teacher. Um, but I, I think there's a reason for that. I think people are, are longing for a connection to themselves and a connection to each other. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what it is. This, this whole connect connecting or disconnect feeling disconnected and 
You know, yes, you can do many, so many boot camp classes, but it's a different way of connecting with your body and not so much with your mind. Yes. Yep. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So, but you had a very traumatic experience happening in your life. Was this after you started yoga practice or when did that happen? So tell our, I know what it is, but our listeners don't. So share with us what happened. So, I mean, this was, um, I've, I've been practicing yoga for many, many years. Um, let's say 13 years. So this is well into my yoga journey. Um, I found myself in a relationship with someone where there were quite a few red flags from the beginning. And as a good girl, a girl that had been taught by her society to downplay her, you know, reactions and, um, you know, almost gaslight herself, I carried on in a relationship for many years that eventually turned physically violent and abusive. It was already emotionally abusive, but there was one night where I very nearly lost my life. And I I don't say that lightly. There was there were moments when I was being choked and um I I had my head smashed into a wall and my head was split open. I had to go and get stitches the next day and it was it was very violent. Um there was alcohol involved, so the person in question would, um, if he had been drinking, this would exacerbate things. And basically, I found myself as a, a poster girl for for disempowerment. And even then, you know, I was teaching yoga, I was talking about women's liberation, the liberation of Shakti, but I was the poster girl for disempowerment, and I, I didn't leave for nearly a year after that incident. And there were a few incidents after as well where I really, really feared for my life. And eventually I found the, the courage and the insight and the understanding that hey, this is, I mean, I knew it all along, but I was like, this is wrong. Like, why are you putting up with this? Like, what makes you think that you deserve this? So it's been, I mean, this was a few years ago. It's been really a process of reclamation. And I think the, the, I think the most important thing that I've learned since leaving that relationship is, first of all, just how many women experience this, that it is a systemic issue. So as I started to share my story, because of course, before I was lying and I told people, oh, I just slipped and, you know, the whole cliche. But as I started to share my story, almost every single woman I spoke to about it said that happened to me or that happened to my friend or my cousin or my mother. So suddenly my, my eyes were open. There's this systemic thing that is quite a taboo subject. And that made me um, very determined to share my story, not from a place of wanting to place myself as a victim or to even... Um, shame the perpetrator but to to kind of shed light on these experiences because i'm pretty sure that had i had these kind of conversations growing up or if it was less taboo in our society to talk about this i'm pretty sure i would have seen my situation in a different light rather than shaming myself and thinking oh my god there's something wrong with me you know i've made him act this way i need to try harder and do better or it's the alcohol or it's not his fault it's just when he drinks i think i would have seen the situation dif differently and 
I, I believe very much so that our, you know, sharing is medicine, not just for ourselves. As I shared about the story, it was like releasing this trauma, this secret dirty secret that I've kept but also it's medicine for the collective so I would encourage anyone that um, is listening to this that maybe even recognizes themselves in my story I want you to know that it is not your fault that you should absolutely not be treated this way and you deserve better get out whilst you can what was the catalyst for you to actually take the step and leave mm. So I actually, I, I moved to Portugal and we were supposed to, so this was a few years ago, we were supposed to uh, move here together and he had a job where he, he couldn't move for a few weeks. And so I moved here by myself and for the first week I was like, oh, I miss you. And then the second week I, I had this strange feeling. It was this feeling of like, I'm safe. Like, I feel safe. It was almost like I created that space. I was like, I feel safe. And then by the third and fourth week, I was starting to get really nervous about him coming over to join. And I started the, the thought process was, okay, well, I need to make sure I make friends here because if something kicks off, I need someone that I can, that can support me. And that was a moment when I caught myself and I was like, what, what are you doing? So I did some deep soul searching and I, I called him and I said, don't come, don't come, just don't, don't come. We're not doing this. I'm, I'm moving here by myself. And it was the bravest thing that I've ever done because I was so lonely. I didn't know a soul here. I would wake up in the morning just feeling suicidal because I was just like, I feel so lost. And it ended up being the best thing that I ever did because Within a few weeks, I started to make friends. I was good with myself. And, you know, eventually I, I created uh, a home here. So even, even it, you know, and it really is like ripping off the Band-Aid. But ultimately, there is, there is pain in any challenging decision that we make. But ultimately, it sets us free. Yeah, because I think I, I just uh, was reading a book. I mean, I listen to my books, but... Um, but I was reading my book and it was uh, very much about a very abusive relationship with the husband and wife and the daughter was the witness and it was told from the daughter's perspective. And I had to just halfway through, I was like, I can't do this anymore. This woman just doesn't step, stand up for herself. She doesn't leave the relationship. There's, and, and I don't know that there's many women who just don't have the strength to do that. I get it. But I had to just stop reading the book. I said, you know what? I can't take this anymore because I, I just wanted to jump in the book and, and shake the woman and say, why are you letting this person do that to you? Absolutely. And that would have been my response before. So I used to say, you know, if someone hits me, if, um, if whoever I'm in a relationship with hits me, they only do it once. And that wasn't the reality because usually these, these, um, these situations are this like toxic cocktail of, you know, trauma responses, um, you know, feeling like there's lots of shame, there's lots of gaslighting, and it's like real kind of psychological manipulation. So there, it's, it's very, very strange. But having lived through it, I understand that 
They understand how it can happen. And these people can be very, very manipulative. And, and what also one of the one of the reasons why I stayed so long was because I didn't really believe that I would be strong enough without that relationship. I didn't, I didn't feel like I could survive financially. I didn't feel like I could survive on my own. And the greatest irony is, as soon as I left that relationship, all aspects of my life started to thrive. But sometimes we, we tell ourselves these narratives and they're the, they're the narratives that keep us stuck. And I know it was intensely frustrating for one particular friend. So most people didn't really know what was going on, but one friend did. And she had actually been through it herself a few years before. She, we're still best friends now. She had the foresight to understand that she couldn't make me do anything that I wasn't ready to do. And she was just there for me until the moment when I was ready. And actually we lost contact for a few months because I just couldn't, I knew she knew I couldn't handle it. But eventually I sent her that message saying I've left him. And she said, I knew you would. I just had to sit back and wait and be there for you. Mm -hmm. That's so good that you came to that resolution of the situation. And, and you're not dead. You're not. Yeah. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's, because, switch. let's switch to the priesthood because I'm super curious about this. So we're, I want to know, uh, what does this priesthood mean to you? Or how does a priestess... I mean, a priestess, I think of a, as, a, as a goddess, mm -hmm. uh, a woman of power, a woman of grace, a woman of kindness and understanding, but strong on the inside. So give me your priesthood, priestess, priesthood. <laughs> I love that question. So for me, I mean, priestesshood is, hmm. so when we look back through ancient history, we can see that although today we live in a society where women and the feminine are reclaiming themselves, there's no, this, it's still not balanced. If we look back in society thousands of years ago, we have a lot of evidence for, you know, pretty balanced societies where men, women, maybe other genders as well, we're not sure, were treated as equal. But then what we can see throughout time is that suddenly women start to be you know treated as second class citizens you can see this in ancient greece ancient rome and it kind of trickles through the ages and essentially you know we become a patriarchal society where masculinity and men are deemed as more valuable than women and we're still living in this kind of society today it's more subtle in places not so subtle in places But if you, look in a, if you look in the past, what you can see is even though there was a decline in feminine and female power, there was, for some women, there was an opportunity to elevate their status and elevate their power, and that was through priestesshood. So we think of, you know, just priests, you know, in this day and age, it's just priests, but there were priestesses. There was the oracle at Delphi called the Pythia. So this is ancient Greece. She was arguably the most powerful woman in the ancient world because she would have all sorts of leaders coming to her so she could dispense advice because she was the, the spokesperson for the god Apollo. And the same with the Vestal Virgins in ancient Rome. These were women 
who were given the opportunity to keep the fire of Rome burning. And this was a really prestigious um, uh, role. And, you know, they had status that ordinary women didn't have. And that's not to say that they were free. I mean, these, these, these women were picked from birth pretty much to, to, to be in these positions. And they were also expected to be chased. So obviously Rome as a state was policing their bodies. So it's not saying that they were free in the sense, I don't want to over-romanticize it, but priestesshood was a, was a doorway to power. It was a doorway to status. And even early Christianity, there were priestesses. There were women, ordained priestesses, who were leading worship. But this got all stamped out about one and a half thousand years ago. And so modern day priestesshood is about that reclamation. It is about reclaiming our role as, I say, channels for the divine, you know, our living our purpose, um, channeling divine consciousness and in more kind of um, tangible terms, you know, I say that if you feel if you feel the need to, the desire to create or to teach or to mentor or to educate or to um, create art or even to seek justice, this is the energy of the priestess because there is this, there is, for me, there is this kind of divine evolution of consciousness at play, but it has to happen through us. And so priestesshood is a way for us to, um, embody the divine and to play our part in the evolution of humanity and our planet. So what comes to mind in my mind, I'm a very German realist, Me Too movement. Yeah. That's, that's when you, all the things you just said, I was just thinking, Me Too, Me Too, hashtag Me Too, uh, you know, take back your priestesshood. Let's not let uh, others roll over our desires and our needs. Um, let's reclaim our role in society. And that's been happening, the, especially the past two years, yeah. quite noticeably. So when you just spoke about us, I was just thinking, that's the Me Too movement right there, all through history. <laughs> Absolutely. The feminine is, is reclaiming herself. And when I talk about feminine as well, it's not so, you know, women, that's a gender, but feminine is about feminine energy, feminine traits, feminine approaches, and, and it's available to all of us, no matter what, um, what sex we are or what gender that we um, identify as. And, you know, this is, it's so much bigger than just women reclaiming themselves. We see that, you know, now that we're becoming really conscious of, you know, climate change and the fact that our planet is struggling and ecosystems are on the brink of collapse. And so now we're, we're wanting to rush to, to help, you know, that is feminine energy. That is, we want to reconnect to nature. That's the rise of the feminine as well. So yeah, the Me Too movement is, um, has been, it highlights that the feminine is rising because it's been so out of balance and it may even feel like a bit of a pendulum swing at the moment. It's almost like suddenly everything is feminine empowerment, but we need that because we don't thrive if we're not in balance between masculine and feminine. And, and ultimately that is, that is my biggest hope for, for our world. Well, yeah, for everything, our nature, everything, our planet. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Uh, Sarah, you talk about Dharma too. What is Dharma and what does it represent? 
So Dharma for me is, um, it's kind of mixed up with your purpose. It's this sense of the role that you're here to contribute at any given time. And I think that one of the things about purpose that can get really, people really um, overwhelmed and in a twist is there's this idea that there's one life purpose and if you don't know what it is and you, you, know, you, you can't find it, then you, know, you get stressed out. And I don't believe in that. I believe that we have a purpose in every single moment. That's what Dharma is. It's this sense of like, we are here to contribute something. So it's really, it takes us out of the lens of um, individualism and allows us to look through the world through the lens of collectivism, the sense of what am I here to contribute? Because ultimately we are our most fulfilled when we feel that we are contributing to something and our lives have a greater meaning than just, oh, I get up, I do my job, I don't really like it, you know, I feed the kids, blah, blah, blah. So that's for me what Dharma is. Dharma is, um, Oh, it's really listening to those impulses to contribute and create and to recognize that we're worthy enough to have our voices heard, to have our creations out in the world and to recognize that we are always going to be in process as well. That there's no end point that we, we seem to think that, you know, once, I, once we've met this goal, then, you know, life, we've made it. And, and that's not, that's not it. It's just about being in process and enjoying the process and doing the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Which brings me, you know, this trickles down in the whole conversation today, which brings me to the topic of in the age group of over fifties, we are dealing with ageism. We're dealing with, Oh, I'm going to be 60 in a couple of weeks that I know. Right. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And so we, we're dealing a lot with that age of them that we're too old for jobs, that we're getting wrinkly skin, that we're not as juicy on social media, that we don't have the perky butt that we see so much on social. You know, when you think about how do we rewire ourselves in that thinking of youth, uh, you keep, uh, only young people can perform, only young people, whatever young means, is that 20, my daughter's almost 30. I mean, she, when I look at her, I'm thinking, okay, you know, I don't, I guess I'm her mom and I'm definitely clearly older and look shrivelier uh, than I have. But in my mind, I am not old. I haven't aged to that uh, decrepit age where you can't think anymore. But we're seeing everything on social. It's all about young, juicy, perky, uh, yeah. And anybody, and I'm very proud of my own growing gray hair. This is all mine. And I let my hair grow gray about two years ago. And I said, you know, I'm just going to embrace me. So I know I want to know from you, what's your take on all this, what I just threw at you? Well, well I, I love that you speak about that because, so I'm 33 and I'm starting to see the lines coming up on my face. I live in the sun, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's, it's hit me too. It's this sense of, okay, well, I don't look as young as I did. And I know that some of your listeners will be like, come on, you're in your thirties. But still, what I'm saying is that this comes up for women of all ages. And my take on it, and I wrote about this in my book, my take on it is it's, it's patriarchy, because nobody says that about men. 
No one says, oh, you, you need to dye your, your hair or you need to go and get Botox. And I think that it's very telling about our society that we want to, that we, we worship youth and it's almost like we infantilize our women. We want our women to look like children, even in body shape, you know, like this tall skinny models without any, without a butt or without any breasts. We want our, you know, we want our women to have smooth, like flawless skin, no gray hair. And it's, we want our, we want our women to be like children because what are children? Children we can control. And I think there's something to be said for a society that doesn't celebrate the expression lines on a woman's face. You know, the fact that uh, heaven forbid that she should laugh too much or she should throw her head back and have experienced all different things and for it to show on her body. So I think it's, it's very, very sad, but I also see that women are now in the process of reclaiming that, you know, you, one of the things that I love about living here in Portugal is that so many women in their thirties and their forties are letting themselves go gray. You know, all of my friends, all our gray hairs are starting to come through and we are not dying them. It's a, it's, it's a way of saying F you, you know, to, mm -hmm. to this idea of who we're supposed to be. And what is it? What's the, the phrase? Like, well-behaved women rarely make history. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And I agree. It's, it's, we, we're, again, we're breaking out in my circle of friends. We're all talking about fighting against this ageism that we, you know, look at us. We're in our 50s and 60s and 70s. And we have a healthy body. We have a healthy mindset. It's not about being skinny and lean and, and Botoxed, uh, but about healthy and strong and vibrant. And that can come through at any age, no matter what you look and, you know, getting diving into like jobs and this will be getting into a little bit different venue of what we're talking about today, although you are a business coach as well. So, but this is, it is refreshing to hear from a woman that's could be my daughter to say, yeah, look at me. I got wrinkles too. And who cares? Yes. Who cares? It's like my daughter is like you. She's too. She's like, so? She's oh. like, I look at you, mom. And I know I'm going to look like you when I'm 60. She's like, I got nothing to worry about. Yeah. And we're, and we're also our, our biggest critic because, you know, I look at the women. So many of my friends are older. Many of my clients are actually in their 60s as well, which is like, yes. And I just see them as an inspiration. And actually, I have a mentor who's 77. She is, we work together on, uh, she's my tantra teacher. She's 77. And oh my goodness, she is so sexy. She just oozes this like sex appeal because she loves herself. And she's got wrinkles and she's, you know, sagging. But it's, yeah, it's really it's that inner work like you said the the healthy the healthy body the healthy mindset that that is what's really really attractive and um it's a reclamation and yeah i refuse i really really refuse to dye my hair and get botox and it's a process 
to to try and to try and fall in love with my wrinkles because I look at them and I go oh but that's just conditioning yeah yeah I agree it's like well we're we're uh, um, printed uh, printed upon us that's what we should should be believing that's what yeah. we should be thinking now mm-hmm. I want to know uh, what is sacred activism Sarah describe mm-hmm. that to me and how does sacred activism intersect with business because that's part of what you do as well absolutely i think sacred sacred activism to me is this sense of allowing our businesses allowing our lives to be vehicles for individual social and planetary justice think that ultimately there has been a narrative about you know build your own business create individual freedom that has been great but it's only part of the picture and my belief is that um, individual success, particularly in business, it's it's not really true success unless we are kind of rooting for everyone and we are trying to create, we're making sure that our vehicles are creating freedom for everyone. So I have um, three kind of pillars that I that I really kind of incorporate into my business and I teach my clients and that that is self-care people care and earth care so I'm always making sure that my business to the best of my ability is not harming me so I'm rejecting hustle and grind culture and toxic capitalism this idea that I'm only successful if I keep scaling 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 my business all the time like no that is like that is not good for me And I make sure that I have a lot of space and time for my yoga and my walks with my dog and my friends. And, you know, lifestyle is important. And then people care is making sure that what I am teaching in my as my in my business, what I am sharing, what I'm creating, what I'm writing isn't perpetuating um, toxic narratives that actually disempower people, making sure that I'm aware of the systemic issues, not gaslighting people, not victim shaming. Um, Also making sure that there's equity in my business so that, you know, I'm not just, I'm not just serving white affluent people, basically. I'm I'm ensuring that there is a way that I can bring people from all different backgrounds in and make sure that not only they feel welcome, but also that there are processes in place that they they can feel, you know, seen and understood. And then there's also earth care, recognizing that now in this day and age, wealth, material wealth means absolutely nothing if we are just constantly consuming, 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 consuming resources and ultimately contributing to the, the, the destruction of ecosystems. And for sure, it is systemic, but we have a duty to make sure that we are as sustainable in our business practices as we can be. And, you know, in some ways we can give back. So I donate, you know, um, a percentage of my profits to forest regenerative ish, um, initiatives and all the things that really are in alignment with my mission. And I also make sure that I'm not perpetuating a narrative about success that is based on material wealth, because ultimately that's just going to keep getting us into trouble. So that's my sacred activism and it's a process and I'm sure I have many blind spots, but yeah, I'm doing the best I can. You know, a friend of mine, uh, we were in a group together in a mastermind 
and we're talking about how to, to organize our content in the group and all this. And we're talking about hashtags for social media. And I suggested boss babe. And she says, I reject the notion of boss babe because that implies that I have to make a six to seven figure business that I have to hustle and that I have to grind. So it just came to mind when you said that. And I said, I know, I think the same thing. I just, it just came to mind. And she says, I know what you're, you wanted to help. And I feel, I feel the same way that we're constantly as a business owner. And I mean, I own two small businesses. One is Pursue Your Spark, my online business. And I have a small brick and mortar studio, which is currently also an online studio because of COVID, uh, the clients are all switched to online, is that it is not about the big ass dollars we're making. Mm -hmm. It's really the difference that we make. In, and, and one thing I, I like what you keep saying, and I don't hear this as much in the US, is a collective thinking. Mm -hmm. US is more about me, 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 me. Not for everybody. Yes, I understand that. But so too many people talk about just what they want, not what is good for everybody. And yeah. I'm, and you're European, you know exactly what I'm talking about of, of how this backfires in our society when we are just thinking about ourselves. And here in the US, it's about healthcare. My husband and I, we, we just can't believe that people are against uh, having healthcare for everybody because they may have to pay initial, maybe a little bit more, but uh, and it's, it's another thing. Why don't you think collectively? Why does it not okay to not res to recycle. Why is it not okay to treat our planet like shit? Um, it's it's not okay. So I am I am like yeah you're you're going deep down into my European soul. So for all listeners, this is the true hike. This is how I think too. <laughs> and Sarah just unleashed it. <laughs> well, I mean, I would also say that. As of yet, there are, I don't see so many people in general talking about this in the online business space. You know, there are there are a handful of us at the moment, uh, regardless of whether you know you're European or American. But I do think that it's now. I feel like me and my peers were at the forefront of something because I find myself just seeing online. Oh, I made seven figures in like you know three months and woohoo and I just think okay great good for you what the hell are you going to do with that money where is it going how are you contributing you know mm -hmm. because it's money in itself I'm all for money you know I, I love money but it's a tool how do we direct it and so when you're talking about you know when people are talking about these scaling to six seven eight whatever figures it's like why is that the, the measuring stick for our success? And more importantly, what are you going to do with it? Because that money is going to be absolutely useless if our planet breaks, which, you know, we our ecosystems are dying. Yeah. yeah, very true. Now, when you talk about your truest expression, do you talk about authenticity? Mm -mm. Yeah. Authenticity has become a bit of a buzzword. Oh, just be authentic. But we've not been <laughs> taught how to be authentic. So for me, authenticity is a deep exploration of who we are at the core of our being and who we're not. 
And this takes time to really understand what our true values are. I, I've definitely got caught up in narratives um, that sounded good, but ultimately on reflection, you know, I was like, oh, this is not really me. Particularly, I think when you, when you have an online brand as well, it's quite easy to get sucked up into other people's um, messages. And, and yeah, we have to really, we have to go slow very often go slow and question every assumption that we have about the way life works, about the way business works, about the way that we work. This is how we really start to um, really understand who we are. And from that space, we can start to be authentic. And I think that ultimately authenticity means being you, and being true to your values to the best of your ability, recognizing you're always going to be in process, recognizing you're never going to get it right, you're never going to get it perfect. But um, yeah, ultimately, bringing more of you to the table, living in as much wholeness as you can. So not just the highlight reel, not just the, the filters, the hashtag filters, the, oh, you know, this is my rags to riches story, but bringing all of it. And I, I do to the best of my ability and I'm in process with this, but I, I try to bring everything to what I do, like the, the shadow, the light, the, the expansion, the contraction, like everything, just show it. It doesn't mean you have to be a hot mess all the time and show yourself as a hot mess, but, but to bring people on that journey with you, because I think sometimes when we, when we see the highlight reels, we imagine that everyone else's lives are like that. And we, we think there's something wrong with us when, you know, we're not all high vibe you know <laughs> that's true oh that's so true it's like i'm always gorgeous i'm always perky i'm always like yeah on the go no <laughs> definitely not so no how do we move past the fear of judgment mm. you're being judged right and left no matter what yeah. age uh, women are more judged than men and we judge each other harshly mm -hmm. but how do we move that, past that fear of judgment yeah that's a really really good question this is something that comes up with my clients all the time mm -hmm. and I think the key is compassion is having compassion for ourselves and recognize that it does hurt when people judge us and it is scary to put ourselves out there and show ourselves to the world so so having compassion but also having compassion for the people that are judging, because ultimately a judgment is never a, it's never about us. If someone judges us, it's never about us. It's projection from the other person. And likewise, when I find myself judging people, and boy, do I, I like to take the mirror and look at myself and be like, what is it that I'm rejecting in myself right now that I'm rejecting in that other person? So we have to be really compassionate with ourselves. We have to be compassionate with other people and recognize that um, we're, all, we're all very traumatized in our society. And we all go around just triggering each other all the time. And healing comes from being with ourselves, feeling our emotions, being compassionate with ourselves, being compassionate with other people and just doing the damn thing that we want to do. Yeah. So how do we reclaim our lives then and live empowered in fulfilled lives? Mm. 
Oh, well, I mean, this is another, this is for another podcast episode, but I mean, I could go on for ages. Um, I, I, wanted, was, I saved the most powerful questions. I was like, I was just on a roll before I got, before we got started talking. I was like, okay, what does Heike want to know? <laughs> These are the questions. That, or I hope, well, I hope it's serving you. Um, for, for me, if, reflecting upon my process with this, because I think it's different for all of us, but reflecting upon my process, con- like feeling like I'm contributing, that's been a theme that, that's been coming up a lot during this interview, feeling like I'm contributing to something um, is a way for me to feel em- empowered specifically when it comes to feminine empowerment this this idea of empowering the feminine for me it's creating a lot of space for my creativity and a lot of space to follow my creative impulses because very that's very feminine in essence also allowing myself to not have to be logical and to instead use my intuition and and make decisions based from that from a a felt sense that is ultimately very very feminine rather than always having to you know be logic and justify and have rationale behind every decision i think that sometimes it's not (laughs) making decisions from that place can be just really overwhelming so instead yeah, living intuitively, like allowing that process to to play out in our lives as well. And also in terms of feminine empowerment is cultivating a deep trust of ourselves and the and our resourcefulness and the fact that no matter what happens in our lives, not only can we handle it, but we can uh, we can use it as fertilizer to thrive. Even the shadowy stuff, even the most terrible things that we're all afraid of happening we can we can use them if we desire and trusting life itself I think that's perhaps the hardest thing is to trust that life is really rooting for us and just to to keep looking for the evidence that it is and it may be difficult at first you think no this world is a horrible place but actually if you start to look through the lens of what if everything was happening for our healing, our growth and our success, you start to look for the evidence, your experience of life changes drastically. Yeah, I think you said a good word, for us, not against us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because oftentimes we feel like the whole world is against us and nothing goes right and nothing happens or we feel like we're stuck in, in, in place and can't move anywhere. And so yeah. I think it's that we have those choices to do whatever we deem necessary is really empowering. Yes, absolutely. So what would you tell my listeners of how to start living their own priesthood? What mm. would they do if somebody listens to this and says, oh, yeah, this is really cool. But what do I do now? <laughs> So the first step is really to cultivate a a strong connection with your body. This means feeling like allowing yourself to feel your emotions so that they don't get stuck, so that you can allow them to move through. Cultivating um, a relationship with your intuition, which is always a felt sense in the body. It's not a logical thought. It's a felt sense of expansion or contraction. And really 
yeah, allowing yourself to, um, yeah, to primarily cultivate a very strong relationship with your body, to reclaim your body, to reclaim every curve, every line, every, you know, that, that is like the, the core, the, the foundation of reclaiming the feminine. And then getting really, starting to explore what it is that you feel that you're here for. Like, what is it that you kind that you wish you could spend your life doing, but maybe you think you don't have the right qualifications, you're not good enough, you're, you know, everyone else is doing it. Question those beliefs, question those thoughts, because you are already unique, so you don't have to try and be unique. And you are not given a desire without a capacity to fulfill it. That's my belief. So getting curious about that and also getting curious about, well, what is it that you judge in other people? What, you know, you see someone else doing something and you, you, you're triggered by it because deep down you wish you could be doing it. These are our clues to understanding what our, what our dharma is, what our purpose at the moment is. And this is, this is how we, yeah, we reclaim the feminine, our feminine power and our, our sense of purpose in the world. So that's that's what I would suggest. Easy peasy, simple steps. <laughs> yeah, simple simple steps. Yeah, you're on you're on your way now. <laughs> but it's obviously a process. And it's it is I from my experience, it is the hardest thing to do when people come to me and say, "Hi, I want to lose weight. I want to get in shape." To do the mind work, which nobody really wants to do, they say, give me a meal plan, give me an exercise program, just let me do. And I'm like, no, 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 we need to dig deep down first. Why do you want to do this? What does it mean to you? You know, did somebody else say you should do this or whatever, all the things you said, do the, the mind work before you actually get so you get clarity to take the steps that that are necessary to reach your goals, whatever your goals, and like you coach businesses. Um, what, what's the goal in your business? You don't want to be a boss babe, but what do you want to be instead? What, what kind of a, what kind of business owner do you want to be? That's it. You know, one of the especially in business, it's got all the arbitrary and you know we we create goals because we think they're going to make us feel a certain way like when I hit this goal then I will feel happy and also so many of the goals like if someone comes to me and they're like I want a six-figure business and I'm like great <laughs> why where has that come from and sometimes these goals that we're given are they've been given to us they're not even really our goals so actually what you're saying is fantastic because it's really about well we have to understand our why and then we can even bypass the goal because really it's about lifestyle okay I want to feel this way okay well how can you cultivate that in your day-to-day -day life and then the success in inverted commas becomes a byproduct of that and that is the feminine way yeah so Sarah how can people reach you and get your book amazing so well if you have enjoyed this interview then i i love to hear from you guys so feel free to follow me on instagram and send me a message uh you can find me at dr sarah coxon um and just tell me what resonated i you know one of the things about social media is that um 
we can use it to connect. And I love to, to hear from you guys. So it's not just about likes and follows. Um, and also if you're interested in this and you wanna understand the concept of priestesshood deeper and relate it to your own life and reclaim your feminine power and your divine purpose, then my book is available in Barnes and Noble, Waterstones, Amazon, book depository, pretty much anywhere that books are sold online. And um, yeah, I've had a lot of really nice feedback from the books. So if you feel called, check it out. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge today with us, Sarah. I really Thank appreciate it for you coming on the show and talking about something that I don't know anything about. Being I love it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you do it. You do it at a soul level, but also thank you so much for your your time and your platform. I really, really appreciate it. So, listeners, you heard how to reach Sarah, but you also know how you can reach me on Instagram at Heike Eats and Heike Eats Pursue Your Spark on Facebook. We do want to hear from you, and I keep saying this every interview I have. Reach out to us. Ask questions. Tell us how the episode touched you or helped you or ignited something in your life. We want to hear from you. And with that, we'll see you next week on the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Ciao.